uh, Dave there? Uh, which Dave? Uh, Dave Astain? Yeah. Hello? Hello, Dave. Yeah. It's Gene from MSC. What's up? Oh, what's up, Gene? Uh, how was the show? It was great. Yeah? You fucking, fuck it was great. Did you fucking devastate uh, Frisco? I don't know. Why don't you wait to hear us with the grapevine? Oh, yeah? I thought I did pretty good. Oh, that's great. How's the band looking? Oh, it's heavy. Oh, yeah? It's fucking real heavy. Oh, that's great. We still got a located other guitar player, but we have a few people in mind. Oh, that's good. How's uh, how's the crowd reaction? Oh, shit. Yeah? I don't know. Uh, I, I thought I got goosebumps, kind of. You know, after the second song, they were chanting Megadeth. And then after uh, the seventh song, we went off our encore, right? Yeah. And I'm sitting off stage, and I hear this, Kirk Hammett sucks! Kirk Hammett sucks! Kirk Hammett sucks! And they're chanting, Kirk Hammett sucks, right? Yeah. yeah. I couldn't stand it. I fucking come running out on stage again, and I grab the mic, and I go, Yeah, I think he fucking sucks, too. <laughs> and uh, it just went down really well. Oh, that's great. The first night wasn't too smooth, because, you know, it was still our first gig, and we had a couple of problems. But the second night was just like... I mean, it was so smooth. The first three bands really sucked shit. Yeah? Real bad. It was Black Leather, then a band called Recluse with a girl singer that really reeked, and then a band called Broken Sound that was all right, but the bass player knew he was up against Junior, so he was trying to really, you know, act really hot shit. Yeah. And then uh, some friends of ours from down here in L.A. Uh, were trying to get to relocate to San Francisco, too. Uh, they opened up for us as far as we were concerned we were the only two bands on the whole bill yeah and they opened up for us and they went down really well and then we came out and it was like all over uh you know what, what did you think of trouble uh they i didn't really get a chance to hear them too well uh i didn't hear too much of them i thought they were a bit slow but yeah. of course you know coming from me anything would be slow except for you know perhaps punk gbh or something yeah did you uh Oh, we gotta, we're dying for you here on the East Coast. We need some fucking metal. Not for this fucking kill them all bullshit. Oh, man. Slow them all. That's what we, the new songs are slow them all. God, you gotta hear this shit. It's like Armageddon's here. Yeah. You know, I came out and I've got like this, uh, this bandolero of, uh, machine gun bulldogs. Yeah. And, uh, I wore like three of those things with like a hand grenade hooked to them and all this shit. And, uh, we came out like first, since it was our second gig, we were still kind of green with everything. And, um, I'm standing out there on the stage trying to check all my wiring so that, you know, because our road crew is still kind of green too since we just got together. And, um, we're using a massive equipment setup, so we really had to go over everything twice. But, um, I'm standing out there and some idiot pulled the curtain up and, and a bunch of people saw that I was out on stage, so everybody starts yanking on the curtain. Uh. So the club opened the curtain up so that it wouldn't get ripped off the, the poles, you know. And uh, we went through our whole intro tape with the curtains up, and I was standing there, and people were just, like, fucking freaking out. It went down pretty well from what I heard. That's great. Are you still, is uh, Dave Ellison still a bass player? He's gone. Yeah, he's still in here. That's what I figured. I, I thought, uh, I knew he was in the band, but somebody told me he left. I said, no, that's, that's not right. No way. You Dave Ellison and, uh, and me are, like, you know, a hand in a glove. Yeah, yeah. We got a new drummer now named Lee Roush. Oh, yeah? And uh, we got a guitar player named Kerry King from Slayer. We still really want the guy in the band a lot, but his uh, dedication is really not to happening. Uh, you know, because he went along just for the ride this time, you know. Yeah. And, and he's into, like, the Slayer image, which I think is quite poser myself. Yeah. You know, he tells me that, you know, he's so heavy and I influenced the hell out of him and everything. You'd think he'd want to play with us. We'd kill Slayer. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, there's just so much going on in my mind. What are some of the new songs you're doing? 
to make it really quick, I, I got to get back to yeah, what I, know, I don't want to, to make it really quick. Yeah. The song titles, if you can catch them in a, in a rambling setup. The first one's an instrumental. It's called Who Can I'll make this real fast. He's calling all the way from New York. I don't want to get you in trouble. No, it's my boss. She's great. She'll let me talk for a minute. What or do you two. do? You do phone surveys? It's from New York. Okay, Only, I swear to God, I'll stay after. Okay. Um, uh, the first song is uh, instrumental. It's called Hook and Mouth. And then uh, our second number is Burnt Offerings. It's about nuclear. And uh, the third song's Chosen Ones. Yeah. And the fourth one is Skull Beneath the Skin. It's about our logo and our uh, our backdrop and the, our, everything that we're going to use for the cover and shit. Right. And our fourth song is Looking Down the Cross. It's uh, about Jesus getting hung up on the post. Right. And um, then the fifth one is uh, Love to Death. Wait, wait, did I get that one? Chosen ones, fourth one, skull beneath the skin. Fifth one is looking down the cross. Did I tell you that one? Yeah. yeah. Sixth one is love to death. It's about killing my girlfriend. Oh, you know, cool. I figured since uh, she won't let me have her, then I don't want nobody to have her, so I killed her. Oh, that's cool. And then uh, the seventh song is our last song of the set. It's Next Victim. It's about Russian roulette, splattering your brains across the wall. You know? oh, that's great. And then we go off. And that's how the, the live table come out. I, we went off and they started chanting that Kurt Hammett sucks. And then um, we came back on and uh, we did, uh, uh, this is like a, a tight, it's, it's like a bass guitar instrumental thing where me and I just haul ass and Dave follows me. It's called Quicksand. Yeah. <clears throat> and then we go straight into a song that's kind of about a demonic ritual called Bad Omen. Yeah. And then we go into a song called Devil's Island that makes Alcatraz up in San Francisco look like a, a fucking sandbox. <laughs> and then, uh, you've heard of Devil's Island off of South yeah, Africa. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then um, after that, we go off again for our second encore, and then we come back out, and I fiddle around a little bit with the beginning of Jumping Up Fire, and then go into uh, the mechanics yeah. off of the No Life to Leather demo. Yeah. Exactly that way. Right, right. Not with this four horsemen wimp shit. Yeah. And then uh, we do our anthem to the headbangers called Rattlehead. That's great. And that's it. Then we go off and screw. Yeah. Uh, just two more questions. Uh, you ever keep in touch with that guy, Hugh Tanner? Kind of. Oh, because uh, I always remember he wrote the songs, uh, some of the part of the songs, and uh, never got credit for them. Yeah, he wrote Hit the Lights and he wrote Motor Breath. Yeah. And two, uh, I, I keep hearing from Shira Gray. She keeps writing me letters that she's handling your club, and I know she's not. Right. Brian Lou is handling our fan club. Yeah, yeah. All right, Dave. Well, uh, listen, uh, Kate, keep thrashing till Megadeth, huh? Hey, man, I swear to God, as soon as we get something together, it'll be out there because we want to get it raged over there because everybody in the Bay Area is just bleeding Megadeth now. They're like, everybody's freaking out. They're telling us how we killed Metallica with oh. the and stuff. And, uh, I want to get it back there. I, I Personally, I want the live tape that says Kirk Hammett sucks to get back there, and I want Lars and those guys to hear them chanting Megadeth after the second song. Oh, you know, uh, that'll kind of uh, give them a slap in the face. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> gotta come out here and uh, tour. We're, we're gonna come out there this summer. Oh, that's great. We're going out there. We might be signing with Johnny Z. Yeah. Maybe. Depends on what he has to offer us, because he's fucked a lot of bands. Yeah. Who would you want to, if you had a uh, tour with somebody, who would you want to tour with? Who would we want to tour yeah. with? Fucking merciful said. Yeah. It's great. All right, listen, Dave, I'm gonna... Keep in touch. I'm going to write that. You were at 6200, uh, 6022 Romaine number 8? Uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to write you a letter and shit. Yeah, well, we'll send some more Rage pages out to you, too, let you know how the band's doing. All right, thanks a lot, huh? All right, you take care, Gene. All right, keep thrashing. All right, I will, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
All right, that was Dave Mustaine uh, calling in to. Uh, oh, fuck. There's like, I don't know. I don't know where you live, but where I live in LA, there seems to be this new uh, mosquito problem. Uh, that's every, every day I get bit by mosquitoes. Now I fucking have no clue why I have all the doors closed, but they like sneak through the cracks in the door or whatever. I'm like covered in fucking, and I'm like one of those people that if, if, if we're at like a, it's 4th of July and you're having a barbecue or something, you don't, you don't need a citronella candle. You just need to invite me because I'll just be completely covered in mosquitoes while everyone else is having a great time. Uh, anyways, yeah, the Dave must, I just want to thank Dave for calling in. Um, great, uh, interview. And, uh, you know, I'm, you know, as someone who's been kicked out of bands and who's had people, have I ever kicked anyone out of a band? I don't know if I've ever kicked anyone out of, I don't like kicking people out of the band. They kind of kick themselves out. Um, so I, you know, I sympathize with Dave and, uh, you know, and also just, I'm a huge fan of Dave. So, um, I just want to thank him for calling in the show. And my favorite part of that is when, when they ask him about the fucking Fonzie's running around, he wants to go outside and the door is not open because the mosquitoes are coming in. My favorite part of that, uh, interview is when, uh, they ask him about the, the band with the, I think it's something about a female singer he's like oh they reeked they really reeked you don't hear that you don't hear that uh word anymore when it comes to describing a band you know we say they suck or usually people say like ah they're good guys yeah they're good guys i've noticed that the worse people are the better the band is unfortunately i hope we fall in that sweet spot somewhere where <laughs> You could say I'm an asshole or whatever, but <clears throat> as long as the guitar sounds sick. Uh, anyways, today on the show we have Mike Plant. Mike Plant is a... God, Fonz is just on a mission today. He's got a flea issue, too. He, I think it's the end of the summer. Flea, Fleas and mosquitoes and fucking flies. Mike Plant is on the show today. Mike Plant is a filmmaker... Um, documentarian filmmaker uh also producer of films but uh i think i know him mainly because he programs the um i don't know if he programs all of sundance but he's one of the programmers at sundance and and he's programmed uh some of my friend calvin lee reader's films um that i've had the pleasure of working on working in um if you've not seen the rambler and you want to see uh, me with worse teeth than I generally have. Uh, that's a good film to start with. Um, also, they played played Sundance. And, and yeah, that's how I know Mike. And uh, yeah, this is a long one. I don't want to set it up too much um, just because it is so long. And we just get into so much information. And it's, again, it's like he knows so much about so many things when it comes to music and film that like, I don't even know if this is an interview, but if you want to hear talk of a bunch of different stuff, you know, um, th then this is for you. And, and also I'll try to link to some of his stuff. Some of his films that he's made, I really, uh, really enjoyed and connected with, especially the one that we kind of talked to, about, uh, talk about in the beginning, which is, uh, a, a documentary. It's, it's a short documentary about his family and their, their Polaroid camera business. 
So without further ado, I just want to thank uh, Dave Mustaine again for coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate that, especially that he was willing to stay after. All right, let's talk to Mike Clay. You know, I have this. Um, I have to. I, I don't. Uh-huh. I haven't even used it yet, but <clears throat> maybe you're the guy to use it on. Um, <laughs> this. I have this uh, mm-hmm. early recording of uh-huh. Dave Mustaine, oh, uh, wow. like post getting kicked out of Metallica. Is that what you were talking about? And he was he was at his job when the person <laughs> called him. Oh, that sounds so good. Where was I talking about it? Uh, that's on Larry Hardy. Oh, I was. You mentioned that oh, too. Weird. Yeah, that's so weird. And that's... he's like, "I'll work another hour or yeah. something like that." <laughs> he's like, he's talking, he's on it, he's doing a call. I should, I gotta, I should just put it on this fucking podcast because we did put oh, out man. the um, a couple episodes ago. We put out uh-huh. the uh, tape. <clears throat> Of the Kurt and Derek call, where it's the guy talking about like oh, really? merciful fate and all that stuff. You, uh, uh, have you ever heard I that one? Heard that. No. Uh-uh. Uh, I'll send. It's it's fucking amazing. It's worth. It, it's like a forty five minute phone call between these two Heshers in a record store. What? It's not a prank phone call, but it's a guy. And if you're listening mm-hmm. to this right now, you've heard it probably, or you should go back and listen to it. It's like a couple episodes ago. Uh-huh. It's a guy that, and it's been out on the internet. I my, right. my friend actually had the original tape of it, but it's a guy describing uh different genres of heavy metal to a record store clerk oh it's so but it gets into like all sorts of just (laughs) shit about this guy's life you know that's going on it's like just it's like a total heavy metal parking lot kind of yeah lost thing you know like and it's great but the the mustaine one's hilarious because he's on a he's on a phone call to new york i'm gonna put it up actually now that we're talking about it i'll put it up as the intro to this oh god Um, (laughs) different types of metal i love that uh i mean that's such a lost culture too. all the i mean i'm assuming i don't know how they got recorded but there's so many of those answering machine messages yeah you know well this guy's calling dave mustaine from new york to do an interview with him okay so he's just recording it on his little thing you know but it's like you know, he's talking shit on Kirk Hammett, and then his boss comes on and's like, "Hey, man, like, you know, you gotta like come back or whatever." Like, he's like, oh, I'm, he's like "I'm on the phone from New York. I'll stay later." You know, like, <laughs> I think he's at like a telemarketing job or something like that. It's just so fucking good. Oh, it's so good. My buddy in high school, he had uh-huh. a he uh, he called in one time. He was listening to uh, the local radio station, uh-huh. and they were playing uh, "One" by Metallica, uh-huh. and they cut the song off. Right, right when it was gonna start thrashing, so, really? Yeah, they like for some reason they cut it off. Uh-huh. Or, I don't know, it was too long or something like that. Uh-huh. And he called in, mm-hmm. complaining. He was like, uh, "Hey, I was just listening to that Metallica song, and uh, you guys like cut it off when it was like really starting to like rip." And uh, <laughs> I just, I just want to tell you that I thought it was really lame. And then his mom gets on the other end of the. The other, other phone the, uh-huh. and, and she goes like Larry he's like mom get off the phone and they like <laughs> recorded that and used it as an ad at the local record station oh, you know like such a good ad <laughs> <laughs> so I was I mean that the yeah. kind of ties into your shit because I was watching that uh, the Polaroid documentary Polaroid this job. morning yeah, I hadn't yeah. seen it yet oh good and and it's sort <clears> of <throat> that uh, just lost ephemera or uh-huh. hard copies of things you know like the you know we're living in such a different time now but like when you go back and see and i think you said in that thing that you like you've been looking at the same shit for years and it never gets boring you know no and it's so like when you when it's normal for you to like 
put a haunted house on when you're a kid and then later on you like event i mean it took a long time like i'm 48 now and i was it was just like three years ago i was telling dan monick I was like, oh, you know what? Because he, he he's always doing shows. I was like, hey, you know, I have these old Polaroids. Are you going to do a Polaroid show? He's oh, like, it was with Dan Monick that you did the L.A. version. Yeah. Got it. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. All right. Because yeah. I, I think he had, he had I mean, he's, he's just a great photographer. And I think he was just doing Polaroid stuff. I was like, oh, I got these old ones if you want to put them up. And he's just like, wait, what are you talking about? Yeah, I used to do that. Is that weird? Oh, that is weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It took me like 35 years. Well, because it's your years. family, so you don't necessarily <laughs> think it's weird. And I grew up with all these masks in the basement. I was just like, yeah, show, yeah, the, there's a werewolf. Right. That's yeah. cool. And I, of course, I thought it was cool, and I didn't think other people did it, but not until like, you just kind of like, yeah, So what's right. the story on the on the thing? What's the story on the Polaroid job? Like, what is what is it? Yeah, with the, my parents, I put out a little bit of a zine, and Dan, yeah, Dan made it... Um, limited edition which i understand but so now i kind of have to email people the text <laughs> right so but and i interviewed my parents i was like hey i remember doing this job because i was like 10 11 12 while we're doing this and from what i remember is like yeah it was october so there'd be haunted houses and it was a local group called the jc's mm-hmm. so it's like yeah we had like the kiwanis my grandfather yeah. was like a big kiwanis guy I lo- I mean I guess I I would do that today. It's not, or like it's hard. The Shriners with the little cars. It's and hard stuff. to be like. Well, if it's one of us doing it, then you know you get branded hipster. Yeah, like, I know. Doing this. Well, that's the thing. I'm trying to join the fucking VFW hall now, oh, and, yeah. and 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 so I need to get my paperwork from my dad to do so because they have right, like a yeah. they have a movie screening thing there and they yes. have like comedy night and they have the bar and stuff so i've been, in I've been waiting for him to send me his fucking discharge does, papers does it have to be your dad or your grandpa it just has to be somebody in i mean my whole lineage. family is military so it's not like that right. I, I think it's i think it's easy i think it's just easier to get it if your dad was in the army or something and then right. it's just like here's his discharge papers and i mean i already signed up i already paid the fee for it i just want to go over there you know i went like man it's probably been 10 years ago and this sounds like another like hipster name it was funny but so because i did this film festival cinevegas right lots of people would come out and as press and at the time joe escalante who was the drummer for the vandals right then became the bassist if i i'm sure i got it wrong yeah i think he was doing drums because in suburbia he's playing drums right the old he's, school drummer before they had like josh freeze or whatever yeah and yeah. then he played and he was with him the whole time he had that radio show for a while uh-huh yeah and yeah it was a good yeah, radio yeah. show and then they like hit us up they're like hey and this always happens in your work and i have a whole theory about like this is why you go to a baseball game and you hear fugazi's waiting room mm-hmm. like wait why because somebody like us has to work a normal job right and you get a job somewhere and you're like you know what fuck you guys, I'm going to put some of my own life into this job. Totally. So Escalante was like, oh, hey, you know, I have the show and blah, blah, blah. I was like, dude, yeah, Suburbia? And he's like, oh, yeah. And he wasn't surprised, but at the same time, just like, oh, cool, you know that. I was like, yeah, man, that's very important film to me. Yeah, flea. (laughs) And everything. And so, so he came out. So then, so I just hung out with him a couple times. I wanted to hear punk rock stories and stuff. And then... And then I got in L.A. He's like, hey, you know, I'm a member of this VFW. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, same thing. Like, I'm sure it was his pop. Definitely, like, all of our grandparents were, were veterans. So. Greatest generation. <laughs> I heard that on a, <laughs> in a movie. And then he, uh, so he's like, well, we're really trying to get membership up. It was totally like yeah. a communist kind of vibe. Uh-huh. <laughs> Except it was VFW. He's like, he's like, 
I know you're like the build. The building's incredible. Oh, it's amazing. It's so good. So I went down with him. I was like, well, actually, I don't really drink, but I will definitely come down on Thursday nights. The bar is open, and members can bring in people. Yeah. And it was, uh, it's such a beautiful place. I know. We shouldn't even be telling everyone. It's like, uh, don't say. There's a, the there's, words I don't wanna, uh, You know what I get pissed <laughs> off about is like uh, there's a way to park in L.A. after 6, and people don't know about it, and you can right. still snag it. I'm not going to even fucking say what it is because some <laughs> asshole tweeted about it not that long ago, and I got really pissed off. Oh, it's like, Take a, this down. <laughs> it's such an L.A. thing. I have near where I work, there's two of us that know a secret, and we have not told anyone. Yeah, don't else. tell anyone. I don't even want you to tell me. It costs money, but... Not that much. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> so, so okay. So, what? what Sorry. Where, 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 no, no, no. It so, was my fault because it, it, just the thing you tripped you tripped me up on was when you say like, "Oh, being yeah. a Shriner now would be like a hipster thing," you know. It's and like, so, in the day, <laughs> the JCs, which were just exactly that sort of thing, they did a lot of fundraisers. They gave money to charity and and haunted houses. Even then, this is eighty, eighty one, eighty two. Haunted houses made money. Yeah. So. And so my parents worked there, and, they were, and of course I wanted to be in these, you know. And I'm sure eighty I'm, must be listening to when did uh, when did Black Sabbath Heaven and Hell come out? Like eighty eighty one, I think. So that's kind of the first, and older kids like you I had uh, hear that. I I had a tape that was. It was one of those weird things where they would put uh-huh. multiple albums on tape. So one, the first Black Sabbath record I bought was, uh-huh. or it was a tape of. On one side was Paranoid, uh-huh. and the other side was Heaven and Hell. That's the whole story right there. I know, but, <laughs> but I didn't know the difference between Ozzy and Dio. Right, right. So I'm just like super confused. I'm just like, man, the guy sounds weird now. Like, you know, when it's at the same time that the other one I just got was at Live Evil, mm-hmm. which is Dio doing the old songs, and then Ozzy had Speak of the Devil, which is Ozzy doing Black Sabbath songs oh, as right. Ozzy and, and with Brad Gillis, the Night Ranger guitarist. <laughs> So those are like, yeah. and I'm like nine, so I'm like, oh, cool, man, these guys just like each other's songs, I guess. Yeah, it's super confusing. <laughs> it's so confusing. So I just thought, and both those albums are pretty good. Oh, and then yeah. later on, then you hear the real first Black Sabbath album, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. This is actually what it means. Yeah. Okay. But uh, but so the idea of a haunted house with all that sort of stuff, Black Sabbath and other stuff in your head, you're like, oh, yes, I want to do this. So I was like, a, there's a photo in there. I'm like a head in a mask. Dude, you know? I saw that. I mean, the one that just kills me is the like, you got the like guillotine thing. Mm. And it's like. It's so, so what's the right word? I mean, lo-fi, I guess. It, well, that's what makes it so good, though, you know, <laughs> like it's so brilliant when, when you mm-hmm. see like just the, you know, that that old school just. Polaroid photography, but then yeah. in that that kind of image with what it's like the it's like a Black Sabbath album cover, you know, just kind yeah. of the lo-fi of it is what kind of makes it actually kind of scary, you know. So weird, yeah. and they get and even later then there was that I also had that Black Sabbath greatest hits album that has a Bruegel painting on it, and so it's just oh, it's, a, yeah. it's a, and the painting is giant, and there's all these little pieces, and they have a little piece of it, and you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, and eventually you figure it out. It's just like, oh, it's even weirder. This is like from 1600, 16th yeah. century. You're like, wait. Yeah. These guys are cool. So doing the Haunted House was just fantastic because it was this kind of, and you know, whether or not in my head it did inform all my movie work, whether making films or working with movies later, because I totally just saw how audiences are affected by right. stuff. Do you have brothers and sisters? or No. No, okay. Because yeah. it like, would be so weird. Like, there would always be one that would just be like, oh, man, the fuck, we got to do the Haunted House thing again. Yeah. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I, just, I just want to, you know, whatever. I was a normal kid. Like, I wanted, I played baseball and yeah, me soccer too, yeah. and stuff. But it was so, 
interesting to see what people would freak out on. But so what was the what explain to me the only thing I didn't understand I understood yeah. everything about this was what do you mean by it's a giant Polaroid camera? It's like it's like a what is that? So like, they used to just be bigger. Okay. <laughs> so so the f- before and I should do my research like everything else. But basically yeah, there is there is a model, the first model is a bigger one, like physically bitter, bigger, but the Polaroids are the same size. Okay, gotcha. And then it was, you know, pretty fast they got that home version. Like, right. That you can still buy today. Right. You know, that's just like run a gun and the flash is built in. But this one was just sort of like a bigger, it wasn't crazy, but it was a bigger box. And I think it, then we, when we bought the job... Because there was a guy who literally was the Kmart manager. <laughs> right. Everything sounds like so good in my head, and I had to double check it. Like, no, yeah, he worked at. And when your parents are so, all my my parents are so like nonplussed by the whole thing. I was like, so you quit your jobs to do this? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, why? Well, so you just wanted to really make magic? I want to do stuff. No, no, I just thought you know that first time we made a thousand bucks, so we thought it'd be great. Right. I was like, as a job, you thought like, yeah, yeah, you know. And my mom had a crappy job as she was a manager at Taco Bell. Yeah, no, I remember this time in my life as well because we lived in a we lived in a trailer park outside of Oregon uh-huh. or outside of Portland, Oregon, and just sort of like just the weird jobs that people had back then, and also just kind of yeah. like kind of like you just would you would go from one thing to another, and it wasn't like you had a career or something like that, and just right. and just people were like you had to have a fucking job back. Then. Yeah, <laughs> because now didn't... it's like you don't have to have a job anymore. And I've been reading more and more research no. saying that we're not, we don't need to have jobs. So Dude, that's you, like, could, you could be a podcaster. I know exactly. You can have a job. <laughs> yeah. But they, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I had like, I, I was doing roofing for a while, but I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. And so they were like, "Well, you're okay. You'll just do par- the parking lots then." So we had to go through, and you go through a parking lot, and you have to get every single thing out of every crack. So it's not just weeding, but like the tiniest pebbles inside cracks and parking uh-huh. lots. I would just be there for days with like a little brush, like scraping it out. <laughs> Where was this at? Grand Junction, oh, Colorado. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was still Colorado. And then not a lot to do there. Yeah. And then you go around, you take that tar thing that you oh, smell right. those trucks, and, but they have a hand version of it, and you go around. You have gloves and stuff, but you like go around, and you had to fill in all the, oh, my God. And it was like anything I could do. In entertainment, sports, anything right. else but right. roofing. Right. And then we worked. The other crazy job that's worth talking about is I had a. This is this right after the Polaroid job. I had a. Um, it was a Christmas Kindle cone company. So this guy who my dad knew. My dad was also a ski instructor on the weekends. <laughs> so we went skiing. This is Grand Junction, Colorado. Yes, yeah. we skied at Powderhorn, which is still there, and uh, the. He met another guy there, and a ski instructor, you could do a really – I've had ideas, a really good documentary about the lives of ski instructors because there must be some there just like, you know, like hot dudes who do this and yeah. then just live off of the money. And isn't just... like Hot Dog, isn't that like a ski, skiing <laughs> movie? A ski movie yeah. <laughs> or Better Off Dead, amazing. Right, of course. Sort yeah. of like surfing in their seasons. Maybe you can travel with the weather. but Sure. <clears throat> but so you meet all these weird people, and yeah. nobody's a ski instructor for a living. They all have something else. So it's one dude during the summer, he had a, he had a Kindle cone company and so what it was is if you got it in the mail it was a pine cone covered in wax and then it had a wax base and it had a little wick in it you'd light the base and you'd put it on top of your 
kindling and your your wood to start your fire. Ah, okay. And it's kind of pleasant. It didn't like have a fragrance or anything. Right. And I think he almost all his money. I think he shipped them back east and just did crazy good. Because also it's like a pine cone's not in every city. That's kind of like adventurous and stuff. It's just sort of a whimsical way to start a fire. Like a yeah, yeah, totally romantic. Uh So he rented space in what was then a recycling plant. So in 1986, a recycling plant meant a dump. And it was basically this warehouse in a dump. And what they did is they go into the garbage, the real trash, and they pull out all the newspapers and they put it into this uh, warehouse. And for some reason, he rented like space from this warehouse. So I'm like literally one million flies. Yeah, it was just I was like, say, it must stink. And again, like being in the metal, me and my friends are like, oh, yeah, this is cool, dude. <laughs> yeah, you cool. know, for about a week. And then like the next rest of the summer, like, oh, it's a drag. Yeah. But so we would get the, the wax and we'd pump it. We'd have to go outside, get paraffin, carry it inside, and then melt it down into a fryer, like a, like a fast food fryer. Yeah. So you get burned. Your arms are all burned from that. Then you dump all the pine cones in it. Then you'd pick them. And then we had this weird, <laughs> like, homemade kind of, uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, um, conveyor belt? Yeah, conveyor belt, so. except it was water. So, okay. so set the wax. Is that what it would do? Yeah, yeah. you totally could do this. Job, I could do dude. this job. I could, really, <laughs> could be a fucking Kindle cone, motherfucker. Bring it and back. And so we'd pump all the in there, and then it was just two of us, and then of course paid under the table. And so we pump all the stuff in it, and then the next guy'd put all the wine cone, the pine cones into the wax, and then go around. And by the end of it, it would be cool from the water, and then you would pop them out, and you clean it up, and you put it in there. And you try to do like three giant gallons a day of pine cones. Mm-hmm. And so it usually worked. But then like you get burned so much. And whatever we were making, it was fine. But it wasn't a lot of money. And then there were so many flies in this building that the flies started getting caught in it. And at oh, first no. he's like, dude, you can't. You can't let the flies. Like, how are we not going to? What are you talking about? And eventually he's just like, screw it. It's like amber, like a dinosaur. <laughs> we're just going to let it go. Amber. Just I need three things. <laughs> amber. <laughs> it's just like someone like, so it's like someone setting a fly on fire in their <laughs> house. Really, and like, and I've never forgotten this job. Just oh like, yeah, I mean, I used to work in a print shop, so I kind of, I kind of, when oh, you, when yeah. you, when you made that motion, I knew that meant that the that the it was a it was a conveyor belt mm-hmm. because I saw a lot of paper go through a lot of machines down, and and then I used to yeah. send shit down a, a thermography machine, so it's like I'd oh, print on it, right. and then then the powder would fall down on it, and it would go through a heating element, and then it would like uh-huh. raise the ink, like bubbly ink, like for like your business cards. So it's like know? super hot. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, it's not yeah. super hot. I mean, it's like it the uh-huh. machine's hot, but it's like a long conveyor belt, so it's oh, like okay. you know, I'm over here, just like I'm just covered. Basically, I'm just covered in like ink and like and like right. weird chemicals that remove ink, you know, that go yeah. directly into your skin, like. DMSO or whatever, you know, like that kind of shit, you know. Right. My mom used to use DMSO, I think, in the eighties too, like back, back, oh, in, and then I and then I remember uh, hearing that Dead Kennedy song years later, where they were talking about putting LSD in it and putting it on the cop car door handles or whatever. Oh, that's you know? right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so so then yeah. so basically you were just doing seasonal work. Oh God, <laughs> Your it, hasn't, it hasn't stopped ever. Yeah. <laughs> Like literally, yeah, and then uh, it just got slightly more glamorous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But so I was just I loved doing all that stuff, and even Santa. Like you see how people react to Santa, and you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, this is like, and it's not like I didn't become jaded at all. Though it was just kind of like, well, this is just Larry, like the old guy who has a beard and is kind of big that we dressed right. up as Santa. Right. 
but people are really going and there is I mean there's just this kind of wonder. you guys had kind of a cool collection of like characters you had the woman that was a former mm-hmm. like playboy bunny restaurant yeah. tour and then uh, and then you had a you had a bodybuilder mm-hmm. and then you had a really tall guy <laughs> Yeah, the dude that plays Frankenstein. I like that you said in the documentary that like having a bodybuilder at the time, like in the early '80s, was like like a unique thing to have. Do you remember that? They're like, no, it's like karate. You know, it's like karate. Like karate was cool. Like bodybuilders. (laughs) Like you saw like a ripped guy, you'd be like, "Whoa, look at that! That guy's a monster!" You know, or like someone. Someone. I remember like living in the trailer park. I went to school Uh one. I'd have to catch the bus every day, and I remember. I went down there and these two guys were fighting. There was like a Native American kid fighting like a white dude, and uh-huh. and and uh, and the white guy kept saying that he was a black belt, you know. Like, <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh fuck, that guy's a black belt!" Like he was just saying it, and then this, right. then this like Indian kid beat the shit out of him, yeah. anyways. But like, but he, we were, I was just like, I told my dad, I was like, "Dude, that guy's a black belt." Like I was like, and he was like some fucking fifteen year old like Hesher, you know? Like, right. But it's like uh, karate, like muscle guys. Like, it's such a. Oh, I love it. There's. <laughs> There's um, uh, Harmony Korine said it, I think in an interview where he was talking about Gummo, which you know when I saw that oh god, with that's my girlfriend like my from life, time, you know, like, totally. Yeah. I was like, we honestly, we're just like, no, we were at that party. Yeah, we were at that party where we were smashing furniture and none of us had our shirts on for yeah. some reason. Like, no, just Nashville, yeah. Colorado, Oregon, it's all the same. Totally. I mean, yeah, everything's the same when you're outside of the fucking city, man. But yeah, I mean, I had that gummo hair. There was uh-huh. like all sorts of weird molestation stuff going on in the trailer. Like, they're like, yeah, it was <laughs> different. Dark, times. dark, dark. Time. You remember? I was the on times? the fucking bike all the time, right. like const- <laughs> with that hair, wearing sweatpants, like just like. Yeah, but he says I think it's in an interview. Like he's like, yeah, you. That's what you get outside of any major, especially pre-internet, any major city. Like it makes sense for you to have to like rap and metal, but you know. But then I'd buy guess jeans and stuff, you know. It's like, well, it's at the mall. There's not a lot of options. But yeah, like NWA and Slayer. Oh, I had like starter jackets, you know, and like it had like baseball jersey like stuff, you know, and then and then like some sort of heavy metal shirt or i would or, or i yeah. draw draw like a i draw like a pentagram on my jeans and then and, and then have like a you know like a unlv jacket or something right. <laughs> like leather jacket running rebels yeah, yeah. Man. i mean well, it's like all... early 90s they were cool and like because that's like that's all like real misfit america it's just yeah. like you're pacing it together well you're and... buying the you're buying like the the Costco or wherever you get your clothes, you know, at the mm-hmm. time is they're carrying the weird teams that are like hip at the time. So it's like yeah. it's like the Miami Hurricanes were hip, and then like right. UNLV was right. hip, and then like the San Jose Sharks were cool. Yeah, like right. and so I was like, you know, like right. combining all this stuff with like the music and stuff. But so what? But like back in that back when you were doing that stuff, like when did you start? Like were you like getting into movies based on the fucking? weird mask thing or did you like see that all the stuff that was going on in your household and being like wow this is like what i'm into and i'm relating to what i'm watching or yeah i feel like i probably would have stumbled into making films anyway yeah. but but it, it definitely was, helps right well, it sped everything up because you know i remember seeing all that stuff in the late 70s and just i would always wonder how the film was made right and my parents would just be like what does it matter like you know wait, wait. <laughs> and not being mean just like sure. you know and then so what I'd were the buy... first movies that you were watching though well you know i started this blog and i haven't been good about keeping it up right uh but i call it cinemaphetamine uh-huh. and it's it's only about films from 76 through 84 okay so 
you know, all that stuff about like, you know, 67 through 76 is the golden era. And I get it. Totally. Those films are good. Right. And the, the, you know, people talk about what's indie now and it got so stuck into how much does a film cost? And it's like, man, all those films are studio films and they're completely independent minded, mm-hmm. you know, sure. and even like if, if, if Cassavetes could have made, well, they did. Columbia made Husbands. That film, I'm sure they hated that film. Yeah. But it's like that's an indie film with money and with real actors. I mean, you know, real cameramen, real sound, all that stuff. So '77, I think, and this is just a kid watching it. It's just like, oh, that's excess starts, and you know, you can read all the stories pretty easily. Like there's so much coke going around, sure. And then, but then, so then the first films I remember, like the remake of King Kong, mm-hmm. which with is. The... Uh, Jesse, Kurt Russell or no? No, uh, 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 Jeff Bridges. Oh, Jeff Bridges. That's what yeah. I meant. Jeff Bridges and like Daryl Hannah or who's it? It no. is. Oh, uh, it uh, is. No, it's the woman from Jessica Lange. Jessica right? Lange, American her, Horror Story. Yeah, her yeah. First film. Yeah, dude, that movie's on. amazing. So I love amazing. that movie. Yeah, I don't. I did get both of the people wrong, but I'm I'm not that far off with who I'm. <laughs> but it makes sense. Both All the guy and the sense. women have the same hair. That's the thing. But I saw that, you know, I saw Bugsy Malone. Yeah, but the kids, where they're all little kids or oh, whatever. That film. Yeah, that and blew my mind. Now, that I one, like, it. I don't think he was high when he was making it, uh, Alan Parker. And he's he's quoted, and I wrote, like, this really long essay about it, thoughts about it. Like, he wanted to make a film that his kids could watch. Like, okay, but, like, Jodie Foster's Jody Foster, kind of yeah. playing a hooker yeah. here like in a the, way. She's the same character. She's in, like, Taxi Driver. Totally same, <laughs> like, and she's really young. She's this you know sexy and of course when i'm a kid like yeah this makes sense yeah and older you're like this is really not that this is pretty kind of fucked up and then you know kids get shot with the pie guns and they just disappear from the film yeah but the music's great yeah i don't remember the music at all it was like what was it like trying to be like jazz paul williams no it's paul williams Williams. okay of course at his peak and so it's but he does that one song so you want to be a boxer that Mm -hmm. dizzy rascal covered and his version's amazing weird okay i'm gonna go back to that yeah it's all it's on the youtube but so so it's pretty good songs and it's great and they're driving the cars with i mean (laughs) when i was a kid just like why can't life be like i know that's what i i think (laughs) that's like totally i had the same thing when i first saw it i think i was just like it was like take me away from Mm-hmm. You know my reality. You know it's like I, I, yeah. when I lived in, when I was when I was in eight or so. For some reason, one of the first things I got really into was like Bon Jovi, and sure. then and then and I just remember I'd be like down at this like swing set in this in the trailer park that we lived in. My mom's my mom listens to every episode and she's gonna be she hates that I talk about the trailer park. But <laughs> I'm down in the like there was like a like a shitty. Uh, like uh, what do you call it uh, playground uh-huh. and i would be down on the swing sets and i would just be singing bon jovi songs and trying to like uh-huh. sort of like push myself higher into the air and also kind of like see if there was a way i could float into like a different reality than what i actually was living at the right. time you know yeah and and then i, I remember i was i watched snl and there's a there's a sketch where amy poehler wishes that john bon jovi would like save her from her boring like new jersey <laughs> life i was like that was me i was like that oh, dude totally. and so bugsy malone i was just like oh man like oh, just to be that be cool like and like just like <laughs> and they're your age yeah they're, watching and they're doing what you want to do they're driving cars they're shooting yeah. guns they like dressed you know, really good like scott bayo was in that movie or something yeah, yeah. he's the lead Jesus and then Christ. i don't even think like I don't think there's even anyone that kisses, but it's like super hypersexual and yeah. weird. Stuff. I know. Now I'm watching it. Now I'm sure it's just like insane. It's totally insane, yeah. and still, it's still good to watch. Like it's not like 
there's so many of those films like The Island with Michael Caine, which is just oh, hard yeah. to watch. But when you see it as a kid, you're like, oh, yeah, pirates. I just want to be a pirate, so I'm going to do that. Yeah. You had this thing. It's totally like growing up with comic books, too. Like, well, Batman just wanted to do it. Like, okay, he's got more money than me. That's really the only reason he's doing it and I can't. <laughs> it's just because his parents are dead. Yes, <laughs> right. My parents are holding me back. I got to go to school. They won't let me. There was nothing. Why can't I just go do this? Yeah. But then, and then I got so informed by, oh, man, I can go on and on for the film, like Flash Gordon. And the same oh, thing, yeah. Popeye, which well, is then, a Coke film. Yeah, that that's that, <laughs> I don't I don't like that film. But uh, oh, it's so trippy though. Um, like Flash Gordon, were you were you paying attention to the music in that film too, like mm-hmm. the Queen stuff and all yeah, that? Yeah, and I like the Queen. Queen was yeah. already big by the time that came out. I'm right, sure. Right. So so it was definitely like ah, oh, it's just entertainment and then sci-fi. Were you seeing the movie in the theaters then? Yeah, we went to the drive-in I literally so, yeah, every weekend. Sense, yeah, and then um, it was the the inappropriately called chief drive-in giant <laughs> sure. native american sign yeah, just like chief's driving always <laughs> in the west so it's, yeah. so uh we go there every weekend because it's whatever five bucks and the whole car gets in sure and like super late it's really not the way to see a movie but you know i've always been and we can get in the vhs next like i've always been like look it's worse to not see a movie than to see a movie. That's why we go to the Highland Theater down here because yeah. I love it because it's like Great. six bucks. Uh huh. And it's like I want it to stay, I want it to be there. So even my meager six dollars or what, it's six dollars on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Oh, and it's like even crazy. my six dollars is probably not helping these people that much. But right. I still want to, I want to, to think that that six dollars is helping the gross of this film and helping this <laughs> movie theater stay in business even though it's like we went and saw that on also we'll go see the like uh-huh. we'll go see i saw predator there oh yeah, and then right. like i'll go see that movie there mm-hmm. like i'm not gonna see black klansman there yeah right but i'll see that kind of movie there but then it's like it's too dark and the sound sucks so it's like you can't really even see the predator oh, like yeah. sometimes you know <laughs> but i just feel like i'm helping them i feel like i'm doing my part well, and it's such an experience to see stuff with people, and yeah. you know, and I think I learned that then too. It's just like, especially if you see those haunted house, like with the flash, like, dude, why are people scared? Like, we put garbage bags up for the walls, right? Because, because people want to be scared. Though. It's not like pipe and drape, man. It's yeah. just like how many? Oh, buy more garbage bags. We need to make this wall longer. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that we're out of we're out of blood. Like, hey, let's go get jelly. But it's also like you know, it's partly it's about uh, the imagination. So totally. you know, if you're if you're going there to get scared, you're gonna even if it's not really that yeah. scary, you're gonna convince yourself that and it's people scary. People really know? scream. People would scream. Dudes would be drunk and they'd like you know make jokes, but still like. So there, it would be a real effect. Yeah. And when the lights went off and it's hard to see, it sure. was so much fun. Just like you hear people coming. I mean, you're just there for yourself. It's pretty boring. You're like there. <laughs> Actually, the executioner guy probably had the best gig because he's like really out and about. And then, you know, after you do that thing, he would grab. I can't remember how that thing even worked. I think it's probably just like somebody had one of those fake shirts, like your shoulders are up higher because the hands were real. And mm-hmm. then we had a fake head. So that thing comes down. The head rolls and the guy grabs it and then he runs into the audience <laughs> and people would just lose their shit and yeah. like split just run back out of this it was a giant barn <clears throat> and uh and so that's why you had to make the walls and there was, there was nothing there when well, the 80s too you could convince people that like shit was real too like you could like you know <laughs> totally. like the whole like satanic panic thing i remember walking around in the woods and like someone would be like we would see like a a piece of pink pink uh mm-hmm. like plastic or something tied onto something and i'd be like and someone would be like oh that's like that's like a marker for like 
when Satanists like meet up here, you know, and it's like then later I'm just like, oh, that's like Surveyor's tape, so they can like, right. you know, they're like, why would it be pink yeah. <laughs> or whatever, orange or pink, so they can it's, fucking it's so see great. it against yeah. the green of a tree. But we th- we were like, we would convince ourselves that this was like a Satanic hangout, and that's where they that marked, right. you know, and it's just shit like that. Like you can't do that really. Any, anyway. any graffiti, just say, oh, it's bad news. Like, oh, it's this bored kid with. A- Spray paint. Yeah, I tried to convince my nine-year-old nephew. Still, he's just like, no, nah, no, nah, it's not like that. Oh, he's really? Like, he's like, I got. He's like, I got a fucking computer. He's too, he's too yeah. informed with yeah. the internet, so yeah. he gets something else to bother. He knows all about with. it, you know. Yeah. Like he knows all the, but he knows all the movie trailers and everything too. I took him to Predator. It was just the two of us in the uh-huh. theater. <laughs> oh, that's I forgot. pretty great. <laughs> I, well, I was, I said, seen it already, and I was like, oh, it's not that scary. It's just really super violent. Like he's right. fine with violence or whatever. Of course, like all nine-year-olds are. Right. And so I'm like, yeah, it's just super violent. It's not scary. And then there's like this whole scene where, did you see the movie? Not yet. And well, there's just you this, can tell. Me. There's this one scene where, like, Olivia Munn's, like, Mm -hmm. talking to this guy. This guy's got Tourette's, and he's, like, she's walking out the door, and he's, like, he's, like, "Uh, eat your pussy. And then she's, like, did you just say eat my pussy? And it just goes on and on forever, and it's just me and this nine-year-old kid in (laughs) in an empty theater at the Americana. Well, you know, that's a part of this uh, blog, I I really, especially now that I say it out loud, that we talk about. It's mostly everything is just me. And I get some friends to do stuff, and they're like, do you want to keep existing? Then you got to make it. I learned that from punk rock in the 80s, too. Like, oh, I want this thing to exist, so I'm, I'm going to have to do it. So this blog, I had a friend, uh, David Nordstrom, who actually edited Giuseppe, makes a movie, and is a working editor, and he's actually a great actor, too. Really good guy and good friend. I, I was like, oh, you want to write about something? He's like, oh, I want to write about Bad News Bears first one like oh yeah that film's important yeah and you watch it now like seeing as a kid like and and it's funny because because you'll get these stuff like you'll and it's not really that many people but some people like oh that film's kind of racist like no this character says racist things yeah and you know from how the movie goes on the film's not racist it's portraying how innocent these kids are and they say things that are crazy and then they're not bad people it's just this weird vibe that you're gonna and yeah you should feel that that's not cool for a kid to say or anybody to say what this kid says but that's not you know that's that's showing what this kid is that's showing what's going on in the time and you know, where's his parents? It's mixed up. But so Dave wrote this great little review of it talking about, like, it's before PG-13. Right. So, like, what you're saying, going to take a kid to see the film, you know it's too far for a kid. Otherwise, like, I mean, I don't know. The news is worse than any movie. Sure. And I feel like that PG, I mean, I haven't read the article, but I, I'll, I'll look at it. It's like, I feel like that whole PG-13 is kind of fucking ruined. Is that kind of the point? It's like fucked you everything up. You feel know? it happening, too. Yeah, it's, it's fucked it's everything up because it's, now it's not, crusade, yeah. it's not a child's movie and it's not an adult's movie and it's nothing. And like yeah. I remember in the 80s, I went to see uh, for my friend's birthday party when we were like, I was like eight. I went to see Robocop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another time we went to see, I think we went to see maybe Predator, but it wasn't. It was sold out, the original Predator, uh-huh. and it was sold out, and so we went and saw um, Running Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> another Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle, right. or it was or it was something to do with, maybe it was Robocop or whatever, but like, just, you know, that, that was such a, it didn't like, it didn't warp my brain, but it was so cool to be able to see like an adult mm-hmm. movie when you're that age, you know, and these, oh, yeah. like, we went and saw the fucking nun the other night, and these fucking, that's not an R-rated movie, it's like, it's... 
super weak. It's not even, you know what yeah. I mean? It's just, it, and the whole PG-13, I don't even, I don't even know what that is anymore. It's PMRC you know? comes at the same time, all this stuff, like, we have to protect our children from everything. It's like, like, E.T. was more fucked up than, like, you know what I mean? Then, <laughs> right. Which is a kid's movie as far as, like, low language and stuff. It's more fucked yeah. up than, like, these PG-13 movies. Well, and this problem you know? of, like, not being able to separate what the film is saying from what the characters say right. in dialogue. Sure. You're like, yeah, man, this is, like, 101 stuff. Well, that's, like, everything now. I mean, that's, like, music, too. It's like, you know, yeah. like, they're, they're, everyone's going to get mad at, like, Eminem because, you know, right. or like, oh, everyone's, everyone who says any, every, any artist who says anything, mm-hmm. that's who they actually are. Right. As opposed to telling a story. Right. Yeah. And if they say it in an interview, that's a problem. And if they do it in real life, like certain athletes, like, yeah, that's a problem. Sure. But, um, you know, the thing about Banu's Bears was that, like, oh, yeah, like, kids went to see it and we thought it was cool and we knew what he was saying was fucked up right. we didn't need someone to tell us like oh yeah that's that kid is like going off or like, the part we miss is like math how yeah he's a genius just wasted opens up a beer pours some of it out to pour whiskey in it then starts the car yeah then the kids get in the car not even like one single seat belt there's like 10 well there's a baseball team there's nine yeah. kids in this car just hanging he's like all right let's go yeah. it's like that's never a problem and no one complained about it you're right. like oh that was a different time totally but this idea that like you're going to treat kids with respect and you're going to show them things and you can talk to them about like you know what you think about the film and yeah kids can figure stuff out and if they don't you have these discussions you know it was a different time so i mean oh man i saw animal house right after it came out so i must have been eight and only later did i watch <clears throat> animal house Again, I was like, oh, it's still pretty funny. And then after getting into punk rock and watching it, we're like, wait a minute. This is really confusing because, you know, oh, yeah, they're they're really punk rock. They're really rebels taking on the college system. Like, wait, no, they're frat guys. Yeah. And basically, definitely some rapey moments in this film. Wait, what (laughs) is going on? How are these my heroes? And then so it's so conflicting because they are fighting the system. Right. But Dean Wormer is the only guy who says anything safe and knowledgeable through the the entire film because the politician's a weird guy. But the Dean's just kind of like, hey, man, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. Right. Like, oh, I totally agree with that. (laughs) Yeah, now you do. When you're a kid, you're seeing it, and it's sure. all it's trippy. But when did you start? When did you start actually realizing, like, I want to make film, or I can, mm. I can do this, or because I would think, you know, that was that was my whole thing. I mean, you know, it's one thing mm-hmm. to think you could be Batman or whatever, but I remember just living yeah. in Oregon and, and then Washington State, and just like L.A. just seemed like such a not even a reality or what. Like, I didn't yeah. know how the, I didn't know you could be an actor. Like, I no one right. told me you could do any of this stuff like at all like no it it never even got mentioned you know Uh and then i i know even like just the fact that you had uh uh polaroids or whatever or just uh, Mm -hmm. like i know some kids that had home movies i don't have any home movies at all oh i never had that like i knew about kids that did have home movies or there'd be a kid with a camera i thought that was weird at the time you know but like just the idea of it was so, like, how the fuck did you even figure out that's what you wanted well, to do? Well, that's or... part of the wall that, that Hollywood would always put up. And yeah. To a lesser extent does now, but it's but it was always like, mm, that's for important people. Right. And I always knew, like, we had home movies, and me and some friends would always act out movies. Yeah. So we would actually have, it's kind of 
like too bad I didn't use a real camera because I could have. So it doesn't make any sense. But we would like I'd take a Vans box and I put a toilet paper roll in it and I'd make fake camera. So mm-hmm. we'd actually have a fake cameraman and we'd act out like war movies or sports movies or whatever. It was sort so, of your version of the last movie then almost. Yeah, <laughs> so, actually I didn't think about that at all. Yeah, we were just like making a little you're wooden the per- boom. You were the stick. Peruvian tribes people <laughs> of Grand Junction. Yeah, and so and we were just having fun. And my dad did have a super. And I actually have a lot of films, and they're like anybody else's films. But we had the Polaroids, we had all these films and stuff. So I always thought, like, oh, cool, I'm gonna be. And in high school, you know, we were like, like just dumbasses, and you know, we would like drink and then go to like drink at lunch and then go back to school. But then we still got A's. There's like no right, just, just dumb small town life, and you're sure. bored. So when I I always thought I could make them, but when I graduated, like L.A. was still too scary, and New York, I was like, ah, it's far. And then the girls with was like, well, I'm from Tucson. I'm going to go back there. I'm like, okay, cool. And I heard worse things about Phoenix, which were pretty much true. That's no, true, yeah. And We had this conversation on the street the other night. We did. Friends of mine, yeah, because we've been to Tucson. And Phoenix is a shithole. It's but, no culture. And yeah. uh, so um, uh, L.A. or uh, Yeah, L.A. just seemed like expensive and right magical so i went so tucson and then it ended up being great because it's an you went to town. school there or? Yeah, yeah university of arizona gotcha took business classes for three years right got a letter that said you you're you have a 2.0 so you have to leave the business school mm-hmm. <clears throat> so i called up my parents i was like well i've always wanted to do film and they're like fine just don't do whatever you want just don't drop out right try to get a degree which of course has not helped me at all but I did meet like one film guy was our teacher. This guy Larry was great, and just having one good teacher is just like here's how you do stuff. There's three Larrys in this podcast so far. Just so you oh, know. that's yeah. right, Larry Hardy, Larry the, the fake Frankenstein guy, <laughs> <laughs> and Larry Foster, my yeah. film teacher. Yeah. And he was always like, you know, he would be the guy. He went to UCLA. He won the Jim Morrison Award. There's a Jim Morrison Award, best student film. It's like. Wait, Wait, Jim you guys Morrison kicked him out. Yeah, that's a classic story. I think there's something about NYU and Jim Jarmusch too. He left and he hated it, but then uh-huh. after he got famous, they started putting him in ads. Yeah, and totally. Hopefully, that's a true story. That's what I heard. Jim Morrison of the Doors of the Doors took film classes at UCLA. Oh wow! I didn't so know. it's I think basically his college band took off. Yeah, uh, and then I mean I think he like never went back. I'm sure. Right. And so, but they call it the Jim Morrison Award. And so Larry won it. It's a good film, too. It's called yeah. The Harvester, where people are allowed to hunt other people. Awesome. So good. Uh, uh, what is that? Uh, what's it called? Uh, pain, what's that fucking uh, film? Pain, pain Park? Painful Park? Oh, Punishment Park. Punishment Park, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's almost the same time. 70s, yeah. yeah. So Larry was our teacher, and he was great. He was like, hey, here's how the camera works. And he'd show us um, Blow Up. Antonioni film and Evil Dead the first one yeah and like yeah you can learn from both of them he wasn't weird about like like here's Casablanca and here's Cannibal Fear Rocks you know it's just like and then so it was just so nice because what you really need is like somebody to say look here's how you can load a camera and here's how you can get an image and I think you can do it and that's really it. Right. And so, well, it's like music, you know, it's just like punk rock. Exactly. It's like if you have some somebody down the street that's like, oh, man, you don't need to, like, learn how to play that fucking Ingve <laughs> song or something. You can listen to this Ramones thing or whatever it right. is, you know. Yeah. And it's complex in its own way. But then yeah. I've had so many friends tell me that got into bands, like, after high school. They're like, wait, you got to be kidding. Yeah. This, that's it? That's all I need to learn? Right. Like, yeah, it's mostly attitude <laughs> sure. some friends. And if you look good, it's even better. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so then when I went to college, then I was like, oh, and I made a bunch of films that were just like anybody else's You went films. to college here? or University of Arizona. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. which is not oh, really. Oh, afterwards. Yeah, that was, that was where you I met Larry. You just switched majors, you mean? Oh, I only switched majors, yeah. So I Got went it. to school for six years. I was right. so smart. And then, uh, and then stayed in Tucson for years, and there's like cool musicians there. Yeah, I so. love Tucson. I'm loving right. it more and more the more we go through there. You know, it took us forever to get a show there, and then and then luckily we oh, kind of really? we kind of yeah I don't know why it's a lot of places. And then we just sort of I think because people kind of, it's like one of those towns that's kind of maybe it's kind of migratory or whatever, and people don't uh-huh. either they stay there forever or they kind of move on, you know. And it's like we've yeah. sort of made friends with some guys there now, and it's like and it's like God, it's like such a relief to like not have to just play phoenix because phoenix has such has such a population that even right. even though it's a, not the best place in the world to hang out there always would be people there you know mm-hmm. but now it's just nice to be able to go like actually go to tucson and like hang out you know because it's Great. just a fun place to be you know yeah not far and there's like you know any small town there's gonna be cool kids yeah. who want to see good music yeah because there's i don't know if it's still there the downtown performance center DPC, I, that was an all ages place. Yeah, I don't know. We, an all ages place. Yeah, we, I don't know what it's. I don't know enough about it. I just mm-hmm. know like where we've played, and it's just been a good. It's like yeah. just nice to be able to get good food somewhere too. You know, like <laughs> especially when you're going from oh, LA to so fucking good. Austin. You know, yeah. it's like it's tough. It's so good, and I really like. I miss it in a lot of ways. I had to like eventually get film stuff, but you know, I worked at Casa Video, which is still there today. Yeah. Yeah. They bought their building and their land, and they put in. They actually have a bar now, which is a movie bar awesome so great that's what i'm saying like there's actually room to do shit like that in a town like that it's just so cool it's yeah. just because it's like adapt without mm-hmm. having to change the whole idea of the because they rent videos right yeah yeah so but like so, put a bar in you know yeah. like, and, and, and I, show film you know? when i work make it a there, community thing you know you know you learn also like that time video store is the most democratic thing that's ever happened to movies like we would buy any film that come out we didn't care male female directed it in another language fine super artsy no dialogue fine we would buy anything because we have shelf space and then i learned like the balance like okay the new star wars came out you buy 40 copies of that but then you buy like five copies of you know whatever taste of cherry the the iranian film and those copies will will rent out but you're not worried about making rent because you have everything there right so you could really go in and see anything you know there was a resurgence of ida lupino at some point and she's like one of the early um not the first but a super early successful female director who was making hollywood movies and you know she even made genre stuff the hitchhikers one of her films oh wow yeah super cool stuff and at some point you know one of these distributors is like oh everyone knows her as an actress but here's the movie she made so of course we carried those and people rented them and it was great and it was really like having that space you didn't have to like worry about something making money every second yeah and the video i mean it was well it's like i love going to video tech in pasadena and 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 we don't go as much as we used to at all and but i remember when i used to go to video stores it was so great because it's like now the problem is Mm -hmm. you have to generate what you want to see and then search for it right you know on like video on demand or whatever or hbo or amazon you have to like look it up or think about it as opposed to walking down the aisle and something kind of catches your eye you know and then you just go oh i'm not like i wanted to see this kind of movie but i'm gonna rent this thing as well just because this looks cool you know and you know and, and it's just it's a shame that 
that doesn't exist that way anymore, you know? So I did hard. subscribe to Night Flight, though, and it's really cool to go through there and kind oh, of do yeah. the, just do weird shit because there's all sorts of stuff that I have no idea what it is and I've been wa- watching them or whatever. No, and I've been lucky because now curation is part of uh, to what pays the bills, working at right. a film festival, and that's what you would get going into... A one at Casa Video had two locations and in one the russian section was right by the door for whatever reason the top shelf was all of tarkovsky's films and i'm like ah that looks cool stalker sounds rad i'll just watch it and that's yeah. the only reason i know this stuff totally. you know and then i started working at a movie theater because in this small town stuff i was going into casa so much when i was like 19 that they were just like just get your own film just go back and just get it like they stopped charging me right they were just like get your own we're like you know you're fine you're here all the time and then finally it was just like all right we're just gonna pay you to be here it's just yeah. like not like some you know fancy story a lot of people do it but and then the movie theater I was hanging out at the movie theater and then um, Bob Log worked there really? a lot of musicians is he from Arizona? yeah he's from Phoenix oh wow I didn't and know and then that, they yeah. all went moved to Tucson after high school and so he did the band Mondo Guano was, yeah. was down there and then I met him when he was doing Do-Rag right and he they went on tour to open for Ween so I got a job at the loft because he couldn't someone had to cover his shifts oh my god it's <laughs> just like and then he came back and start work at the theater again. That's when we started music videos. And it was just that thing of like, like I got into it because of punk rock, but like, oh, it's just an attitude of, yes, you can do this and I need friends to help me do stuff. And it takes money, but at the end of the day, it really just takes motivation. So when you, did, did you come out here first or did you go to work at Sundance first? Or what, what, what did you start working in, as, in the film festival? I was taking a film class at U of A in 93 and the class was distribution and then there was a local film festival the arizona film festival mm-hmm. and they're like it's taking part of the class you need to work the festival and i was just like the one person like oh i actually like this and it was great because it was so tiny so i learned i did yeah. box office but i learned how to be a projectionist and so and it's not that hard you know uh it was 16 millimeter you know so it's like what you have in classrooms and the only hard thing was like we do real changes so you had to like reach around and like do this sort of like thing with two buttons so um and then when i got a job at the loft cinema i learned to do 35 stuff so then i eventually just, when you see that little yeah. round thing in the top corner that's the reel being changed right I'm that a, tells you you see two of them and so it tells you to change the reel. tells me to change it. Uh, so you'll see it you know i don't know if they still do it with dcp i, I don't think, think they do it anymore i just used they, to always look for it as a weird psychopath in the audience right and it's 20 minutes because that's what a reel holds <laughs> And so we would still do that. And then when I work, I got a job at the Telluride Film Festival. Oh, that's awesome. Which is amazing. Yeah. And we did do real changes. You know Erica, there. then, that woman? Does that, you know, Jess through Erica? I don't know. Jess, Maybe, yeah. we ran into our friend Erica on the street, and her and Jess had met at the Telluride Film Festival oh, like, years great. ago. That's how they know each other, you know? Yeah, it was great. It was a time where they, they just happened to need. They have 24 projectionists and seven weren't returning, mostly because they got other jobs or they couldn't always handle the uh, altitude. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm actually from two hours away from Telluride. This right. is perfect. Yeah. And uh, and there, so the first dot tells you're like a you, Denver Nugget. You're like ready. You're ready. <laughs> other side of the state. Yeah. yeah. So then I ended up um, uh, the first dot. I learned yeah, the first dot tells you to start the second machine. The second dot, you do it. Got it. You switch right. shutters. And so, and it's, it's super fun. It's so cool. But then, um, uh, because it was such a small festival in Arizona, I got to learn how to do everything. So, but, so then in 99, I got the gig at Telluride. So then in 2001, I finally was like, oh, I should move, uh, you know, a long-term relationship ended in a totally normal, nice way. Mm-hmm. And like, it was just like, oh, I should probably try. <laughs> 
or should probably try to uh, get a real job. And like do actual get actual Tucson sucks you in though, man. Yeah. My rent was two hundred bucks. Sure. In two thousand and one. Yeah. And it's like, oh I got I should probably still try something else. So yeah. when I came out of here it was because friends had worked at Sundance. They're like, Oh, we have a tech job open and then I just got along with everybody. That same year somebody else, Trevor Groth, got the job to run Cinevegas. Yes. And so it all kind of came together in 2002 where I started programming at Sundance for the shorts and then started doing Cinevegas. Right. So, and then and then Cinevegas was started by Dennis Hopper or he sort of oversaw it or No, he sort of it, some people we don't know ran it for 3 years and it kept changing because like you it's fun to do a film festival but it oh right this is a lot of work. Like having a boat. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like wait, you the want to boat be the, might sink. What <laughs> you you want to be the you want to be the guy whose friend has a boat. Yeah, right. you want to show exactly. up at the six pack for like, like one week. Yeah, exactly. On your boat. You want to go to the film festival. You don't want to <laughs> run the film festival. Oh, and so and at the end of the day, like totally happy not to be making Colorado Kindle cones anymore. <laughs> but you know, like yeah, we still I still you can work fourteen hour days and you can still yeah, like you have to do a lot of Excel sheets, you know, stuff like that. It's not hard. It just takes a lot of time and effort and if you're not into it it can you, you're not gonna make money doing it right so you gotta like like it a little bit so it kept changing and then they came to sundance and and trevor who was also single at the time everybody at sundance was like oh trevor will want to stay in vegas and then i just happened to get along with them really good and we just like it's not even about like it's actually not good if everybody likes the same movies on a programming team because then you're like ah, you're showing sure yeah of the same indie drama around a dinner party you know so it's like oh i i actually kind of like more experimental weird artsy stuff and trevor mm-hmm. really liked anything but I, he knew more of like he actually knew indie world because he started with at sundance in 1989 mm. so he actually knew that world better than i did so we actually i actually learned a lot from from him too uh, about how audiences see things, about why to show something, about how to trust in something that you may not like, but enough people like it, and you're doing a job. So we got hired in 2002, and then the next year, the people who are funding it, there's this great uh, Danny and Robin Greenspun, just really nice um, Vegas, old-school locals. They're like, hey, you know, we know Dennis Hopper. Do you want to like give him an award? And just like, yeah, why is this a question? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> of course we do. So we gave him an award in 2003. Just like, you know, these Lifetime, lifetime achievement. achievement. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for being you. I I hate awards so much. I like sports and I like movies and I don't want to combine them. Right. But I understand. That. I know. I feel the same way about, like, fucking music. It's like the, the Rock Grammys. and Roll Hall of Fame. Or even, yeah, yeah the Grammys, too. It's just oh, like. Yeah, have you been? To, I haven't been to the Hall of Fame. I haven't been, but it's like, I don't even care, you know? It's like, <laughs> like oh, there's fucking that dude's guitar, you know? It's like, I, I, the experience. Yeah. The closest thing I got was, like, the Experience Music Project in Seattle. And it's just like, oh, yeah. it's just like, oh, here's, like, fucking. Kurt Cobain's old shirt, you know, it's like, I, I don't care. Like, yeah, that Ramones thing that went around I thought was interesting, but I'm a super fan. Yeah. I mean, and if it was a specific band that I was so, but the that bands that I'm, sense, the bands yeah. that I'm 
obsessed with aren't uh-huh. in any of those things. So That's it's like there's point. no Dead Moon fucking retrospect. Like there's a Dead Moon documentary and there's a Dead Moon book and right. stuff. And I'll get into that, but there's not a there's not a traveling Dead Moon show or a Wipers show or yeah, you know like right. so. well, of course the, whatever the Dead Moon Museum would be would be on the road at all times. Yeah, too. yeah it would yeah. never be <laughs> right. You know, the Black Flag Museum. Uh, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's never in one it, place. Yeah, it's, it's always on tour. It's like in some weird like small town kids basement or something you know like right but uh so then it's cinevegas still is going on you are you you're just not working not really with, well yeah. it's called different so right. so what happened was dennis came and was just so lovely and like you know we got to know him the last eight years of his life and he's sober yeah for i got time. to hang out with him a bunch too it was it was, yeah. it was amazing because yeah. jess knows him about the same era mm-hmm. right, in his life right? sure yeah and so i mean i think that's how it kind of i know you or i don't know man yeah Italy or something but Tiny, tiny LA. Yeah. But also, it was like when we were showing movies and he liked movies. And he would go see stuff we showed. He never told us what to show. And then it basically became like, well, can you be our chairman of the board? Like, you know, we're not trying to be too serious about this, but we understand that awards bring people in. And it'd be fun to just, you know, I'm like a fanboy as much as anyone. Like, uh, I want to be in the same room as some of these people and hear them talk. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll bring all my friends out. And then it got to be fun because, like, well, then it's an excuse to talk to Dennis Hopper, which at all times, we were, me and Trevor were always just like, dude, we're just sitting here talking to Dennis Hopper. This <laughs> yeah. is so weird. And he was always so kind and, like, uh, like really appreciative and and just chill, you know. So it was really nice to, to get to know him for a few years. And then and then it got funny because then we were, like, he, he was funny enough – and had a sense of humor that you could fuck with him because he would tell us like some something about whatever on Apocalypse Now. And then we'd just be like, how do you remember anything? Right. You got to be. And he would laugh. He's just like, no, I don't know. But this happened and it left an impression. It's like, all right. Like, and then uh, and then the other thing was that we'd ask him like, oh, we should bring in so and so. Like, oh, I don't know that person. We're just like, wait, I don't. One time we were walking through <laughs> the Palms, which is where the festival was, right. and in front of us going up. However, we we were going down. We were behind, him, but it was Johnny Rotten. Oh wow, John Lydon. Yeah. Whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, ah, Dennis. There's like we were walking through him to go to something. And we're like, ah, oh, Dennis. There's Johnny Rotten. He's like, oh, huh, yeah, I don't know him. And we're like. Dennis, isn't that weird that you don't know Johnny Ryan? He he's like, I guess. He meant he didn't know him personally or he didn't know who he was? He didn't know him personally. Right. He must have known who he was because in Out of the Blue, right. which Dennis didn't write but directs, like there's all these references. Right. And and also just being Dennis Hopper. Yeah. He wasn't that. I mean, yeah, you know, the 70s, he's not that old and he's relatively also the other counterculture icon you're into. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit later, but you know, Easy Rider's not that far before all those bands. Yeah, it's funny how like when you go back and look at how like you know you think of like Jimi Hendrix in 1969, and then like yeah, you know, Sid Vicious <clears throat> like is only like six years later. You know, really, you know, Crazy. like it's just like God damn it, just like the yeah. the style just changed. So I mean, we live in a time now mm. where it's just like a weird mishmash of everything. It's just like kind of mashed up in one kind of soup or whatever you know and and yeah. even in movies and stuff i haven't seen that new mandy film but like you know mm-hmm. the ideas of like there's like sort of like picking and choosing from all sorts of different genres and kind of mashing mm-hmm. stuff and but like to just like Jimi hendrix wearing like a headband and like a concho uh-huh. belt and like a white 
bell bottoms and then like everyone's and then everyone's like spiky and black leather like six years later it's crazy you know like fast and all just weird fashion choices yeah but then but the same thing with like how i was growing up we're just oh yeah all this stuff is interesting and we're in this not culturally significant place so we're just making our own culture it's it's never stopped it's like well i've always liked like hardcore art like you know which starts before Andy Warhol, but you know the Andy Warhol films. It starts with Mike sure. Darren and a lot of other interesting people. And then, but today, like, people are still doing that stuff. Like, yeah, that's interesting, and I'll probably go see Predator. Right. It's all fine. The only time it gets, you know, annoying is when you have either camp. Like, people like, well, that film didn't make any money. Like, all right, so, you know... Wizard of Oz was in a blockbuster right away. People liked it. It got nominated for awards, but only later did it become this crazy thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, it just doesn't matter. It's so boring. But then on the other side, there's art people just like, well, you know, like this, they'll see every type of right. avant garde film, no matter what. Like, well, some of them aren't good. Right. And just by like pissing on, on film stock doesn't make it interesting. There's got to be more than just the idea that it's artsy. Well, when did you start making your own films? Oh, that was all right then. That like, like as soon as I went to college, like I always had a video camera. And, and you started making documentary or like... Nah, just like what stuff everybody did, like just regular student films. And then at some point, and then I was a DP on this Super 16 millimeter feature where we got paid... And uh, no one's fault, but it's terrible. <laughs> or, or all of our faults. Yeah. And so, and I was just kind of like, ah, <laughs> oh, man, I don't know what to do. And working at a video store and, and, and being around so many movies that are movie movies. Yeah. And wanting to be a part of it so bad. It's like, you still have to figure out what you're going to do. So then once I moved to L.A., I guess, oh, no, right before I left. So in 2000, I had a friend... And this guy was like, I only knew him as a as a clean and sober person, but he like had a pretty rough and tumble drug history. And he owned this coffee shop, and he came into Casa in the loft all the time. And I was like, hey, man, who are you? And he was like, he's like um, at least 10 years older than me. And he looks like he's from the 40s, which I hopefully have told him, Tom. But, you know, he just has this cool look. It's like, Dude, what? Yeah, what's your story? Like, oh, just this guy does this thing. And then as I got to know him, we got to hang out. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, I used to be construction. I used to be, like, big time. I don't think it was meth. I think it predates that. But just, like, a big drinker. Fell off roofs Angel all the dust. time. Oh, it's something awesome. <laughs> you know, I was, you know, PCP, then yeah. I go to work, you know. And then, finally, he, he was up for 10 days straight. And he finally made this decision. Like, a lot, so many of our friends, like, no, nah, I, I really would rather be alive. Yeah. So, and I was like, oh, cool. Actually... Do you want? I want to make a film, and I just think you're interesting. And it's part fiction where I show him. I I set things up for him to do, like talking to people. And he went on these fake dates, and I was like, it was my idea of what his life might be like. And then I have all this audio interview of him saying like what he went through before, and and it was at that point. So it's like ninety nine, two thousand. I'm making that like, oh, I'm really this is well, a like I'm not gonna lie, it's easier. Mm -hmm. I don't have to raise a lot of money. Right. I don't have to convince other people I have a good idea. I know I can do this with two or three friends and keep it small. And then the natural progression was like, well, documentary is what I'm making. Did you have like someone like like a Les Blank or something that was a big like influence as far as the documentary sort of style goes? Because it's kind of it seems like you're doing like a like a lot of shorts and like you're just kind of 
taking like one subject and doing a thing on that and yeah getting stuck on an interesting like can i turn a camera on and will it be interesting and it doesn't well, but it doesn't you're not necessarily <clears throat> trying to tell like a like a story that has a beginning middle and an end it's just sort of like right it's an experience yeah and it's always like yeah so that was because of the video store well actually in, in in one class and i didn't like the teacher very much i just didn't connect with them they showed us sherman's march oh yeah ross mccowley sure and i remember at the time me and my friend who we were making films together it was the problem was the teacher the way he was talking about it and maybe i would think differently now but at the time it was just like it's really pompous and and then at that time there wasn't that many you didn't see that many documentaries you saw tv documentaries you saw nature documentaries and vhs even it was really hard less blank stuff was hard to find yeah mazel's like salesman wasn't anywhere great gardens wasn't anywhere until a little bit later mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when it finally started like give me shelter came out and that's cool but you don't have any that's that's big yeah that is so big. i don't know the rolling story. <laughs> i know still i mean it's such big stories yeah so then that's what i mean as far as like uh-huh. a music documentary where it kind of i mean that's a big story but you know where they show the beginning and the history of the band. You know, yeah. I like my favorite ones are like American Movie or oh, totally. or like I like uh, what I like Killing Flies. I just like that's I could watch great. that movie over yeah. and over again, and it's kind of it's kind of similar. It seems like to what you're doing as far as you're taking a subject and you're uh-huh. not trying to like edit it together to make it like mm. a beginning, a middle, and an end. You're just trying to show this thing you know, yeah. that, that happened you know if it, if it if it succeeds yeah you feel like you're in the room and you're learning something about a person and it's cool if you can connect with them but you should just at least feel something yeah and sherman i mean i'd have to really look but i'm sure sherman's march is one of the first ones that's like i am making a film about this and 10 minutes in like oh all right i already failed here's what's going on now <laughs> i hate that movie <laughs> it's so amazing to be like and and sure and i mean mccauley's just like so you know Brave is such a word that's thrown around so much, but just like because this is embarrassing. Yeah, that's why I hate it. It's really like I can't watch. <laughs> I can't watch shit like it's that. Hard to watch, but yeah. it's so pure. And we watch it, and we were kind of like dismissive of it. And then separately, me and my friend watched it separately from each other. And the next time we were hanging out, like, dude, I rewatched Sherman's Mars. Like, oh, I did too. Like, that thing's amazing. How did we misread that before? Yeah. And it gets, you know, you, you learn it when you're younger. I mean, we were probably like 20 when we're seeing it, and I had not seen anything like it. And later on, I was like, oh, this is great. This means, and same thing with punk rock. Just like, ah, yeah, every song's not going to be great, but you're going to feel something. Yeah, and then if it's not great, it's over, and then the next one's up right away. Totally. Yeah. And actually, well, like, now that I think about it, like, I saw a Decline of Western Civilization when it, whenever it hit video. Right. In a tiny town. So probably 83. That and Repo Man and Suburbia. I all see at the same time. And that's when I was like, oh, I like metal, but punks actually, this makes more sense totally. to me. And seeing what everybody's going through. And then only later, <laughs> like, like, God, I hope I can go see these bands. And then, like, like <laughs> oh, they're all, they've been dead for three years. Well, it's, it's like Decline Damn of Western it. Civilization, part one. It's like, it's cool. And you're like, wow, this is fucking cool. And then the metal one is like, you're like, haha, look at these idiots. <laughs> like, oh. Huh, that's problematic. Yeah, it's still interesting, but different. I thought it's, yeah. it's awesome, but in a totally different way. It's like yeah. it's like metal has this this uh, sort of uh, idea that make, mm-hmm. makes it look so much cooler than it actually is. Whereas the right. punk thing, it's like actually like oh man, it's like it's cooler than you actually think it is. Maybe you know. Well, and, I, and it makes so much sense because like see everybody in the crowd, and it started by that point where there's a dress code that starts like eighty. 
right. at least. But for the most part, that and DOA, the Sex Pistols film, too, it's uh, which is a messier documentary, but it's really good. I haven't watched it. It's on Night Flight. I'm going to watch it here soon. Though. It looks it looks. they're going through Texas, and like the crowd, like there's no dress code. Right. These are real right. outsiders, yeah. and it's amazing. And then there was, what was the other one that I loved? Uh, Another State of Mind. Yeah, that's um, great, too. Yeah, all those ones. This The weird, like, of yeah. course, like when you're a kid, too, just like the idea of like, fuck, man, just getting in a van and doing it, you know, versus oh, like, yeah. it, it, it's that whole thing, too, of like when you saw... Uh-huh. When I saw Bon Jovi or whatever in their video, they're on like a fucking plane and they're like, you know, in a bus. And it's just like, right. and then you're like, oh, you see another state of mind. And it's like Youth Brigade or whoever. They're in like a broken down van and they're like meeting just weird <laughs> kids. You know, and you're like, I can do that. Like, yeah. that's exactly what I'm doing anyways. There's not a tour. I mean, maybe they had a tour manager, but it's not no, the same I mean, thing. Man, shit, you and know. And like, that point, like, so that's after. So I'm doing, we have the Polaroid job, 81, 82. And then 83, 84 is when I start seeing these movies. Yeah. And then I realize... And maybe I thought this already, but when I saw that, like, oh, I can leave this town. I can do what I want to do. Totally. I can fail a lot. I don't have to be, like, uh, rich or know what I'm doing to pull something off. And it was great. So, and then, you know, you try to make narrative films, and I PA'd on much stuff, and I worked on a lot of stuff. And that stuff's all super fascinating. When somebody has the skill and the ideas that can put together a fiction film, it's incredible. I just like oh, I just don't want to work with that many people and, and sort of do tiny things. So but I as a filmmaker, like, you know, so you do document directing as documentary, but then you uh-huh. sort of you're also producing stuff as a mm-hmm. producer and, and that entails what? Like finding funding for films? Is that what a producer does on a film? It, you it's know, like, on a real movie. Yeah, yeah, on a real movie. In a real movie. You're just facilitating. <laughs> you're just trying to make shit happen, right? You're like, managing. You are the tour manager. You are the money manager. Right. You're finding the money in some cases. And then you're making sure things – you do a lot of paperwork. It's mostly paperwork. And then, then there's different levels of like, you know, line producers a little bit more – nuts and bolts right. and an executive producer you might have just given money yeah. so so in my realm which I'm lucky that it's worked out like so I did this film about my uncle because I wanted to so I got a camera and I put a microphone on it and I just went and filmed him two different times mm-hmm. and I knew he'd talk a lot and then by the time I finally got done with it the format had already changed so like <laughs> oh I guess it's uh, 185, 16 by 9 now. I'll just zoom in. Because <laughs> it was 4 by 3 when I started it. And then, like, oh, the sound's really bad. Like, all right, well, I'll find someone. Like, well, I can do it for a 1000 bucks. Like, okay, well, what do I know how to do? I know how to work for film festivals. I got a freelance gig for some festival, and they paid me $2,000. Like, great, just give yeah. him the money. Right. And a lot of these freelance jobs, they don't take your taxes out. You get 1099 So I have to spend money. Okay, well, then you learn what a Schedule C is. Like, oh, yeah, I'm a business. <laughs> right. And, like, if you make under hundred grand a year, you're still pretty golden, which, oof, no problem. And so you just keep stumbling through stuff same thing as punk rock and sure. once there are producers it's that like are, making a record it sounds like you know yeah right and even like that's what i love about larry hardy talking is just like yeah i just wanted to put a record out how do you do that oh you don't have to be atlantic yeah rec- you know you don't have to be a corporation we just went through a whole thing with this this label and like this mm-hmm. this contract that was just like 
pages and pages long and i was just like yo dude like let's just fucking shake on this thing if you're a fucking ass i'll fucking right. beat you up or walk away and vice right. versa you know like so like <laughs> let's just and then he was like yeah cool let's do it you know like, so the, that's the only fucking way i know how to do it man and it's just like yeah let's just agree to be regular people yeah let's just and... do what you fucking say you're gonna do and everything's all right yeah that's and, the problem is like no one fucking does what they say they're gonna do yeah you have to have you know and even when when we're doing Cinevegas and these huge people are coming in like they could cancel on us anytime mm-hmm. and then but you just set up expectations you and it's the same for the film stuff like all right well i want to go do this and it's requiring somebody else so i just have to be ready for when it doesn't work as long as you know that <clears throat> don't get your hopes up too high but usually, you know, 95% of the time, people in the film industry are pretty nice and super professional. Yeah. And you figure out who you can work with. So I met, you know, for uh, Giuseppe Makes a Movie, I knew Giuseppe because I had seen his films and reached out. I had a film magazine, too. That was the other thing called Cinemad. <clears throat> and I did that because I saw Giant Robot. Like, oh, this is amazing. And, of course, I knew about Thrasher. Giant Robot, the magazine. The magazine. Yeah. And, of course, I knew Thrasher. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh. I'm guessing the Thrasher guys are similar to me, yeah. and maybe they have more magazine experience, but like, oh, I just got to do this. And then 90, so many people are doing Xerox stuff, like, oh, I should just, you know, Comet Bus, all that stuff. Like, okay. So that gave I me an excuse Bus, to meet yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, Comet Bus is incredible. And, you, and you, then you're like, oh, people will talk to me because I have a magazine. I do, I will do a good job. I will put this in print. I will put it in stores for sale. I will interview you, and I will print what you tell, what you say to me. And I'm getting out of it this amazing thing, like definitely not money, but like, oh, I got to meet, you know, and we were doing this weird stuff. So I would do really experimental stuff like Craig Baldwin and Nina Menkes. Like, you know, she teaches at CalArts. She makes these amazing, like, metaphysical films, for lack of a better term. But then also we called up Conrad Hall, who's this old school cameraman who shot Butch Cassidy and the Sundance (laughs) Kid and Fat City. Yeah. All these movies. Fat City is like like one of my favorite. That's like in my top fives. I love that movie. Yeah. And at the time, this is ninety eight, we reached out to him. It was it was not as well known. And so he's like, Oh, you guys know that film? Right. Yeah, sure, come talk to me. And we're like, Okay, you know. He ended up we like hung out with him four times. He'd buy us breakfast and stuff. And it was it wasn't because I put out some great magazine. It was like I was younger and we were trying to be creative. And most people out here are excited by creativity and you want to be around that too in a positive way. Um, but then one time we brought out Abel Ferrara to Santa Vegas <laughs> and I love Abel Ferrara and his stuff. And we're like, okay, there's a good chance he won't show up. And this is why we like him. So we set sure. our expectations. And then I remember, I don't think I'm not like calling him a weird person or anything. No, but, but you want sometimes you know. people that are, the more I learned, you know, the, I think Norm Macdonald was talking about it too. Like where they uh-huh. were like, he was trying to get like Burt Reynolds or somebody to be uh-huh. on his show when he had a sitcom. Right. And, and, and the producer or whoever the whatever who was the person above him the executives Uh were like no you don't want that guy on your show he's crazy and he's like no that's why i want him on i don't want you i want (laughs) the crazy guy like that's what that's who is the interesting person i don't want the guy in the suit telling me i can't do something i want the crazy person that i don't know what he's gonna do you know yeah and abel was like he makes those movies. What do you? What do we expect is gonna happen? Yeah, exactly. So he calls us it's up. Like Gigi Allen shows up, and you're just like, oh man, he shit everywhere. He ruined like, <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck did you think he was gonna do? Like, he's gonna... side note, we won't get into it. There's a new documentary called The Allens, which is about his mom and his brother, Ooh. and it's amazing. Okay, well we because gotta see that because it's Merle. 
It's straight. It's like, here's why. And you learn very fast. And it all makes sense. It's a yeah. sad story. He got sure. bad things happen to him. I believe a it. Small child. Yeah. And then they even talk about like sooner or later, then you're that person all the time. And right. You, like, you have to. So, but it's a great movie. Well, if you follow, I mean, not to spend too much time on Gigi Allen, but if you, <laughs> if you, you, if you go, yeah. if you start at the beginning of Gigi Allen, his music is really, like, kind of really fucking good. Oh, like, it's, it's kind of New York Dollsy and it's song, fucking Born awesome. to Death. It's oh, my so God. Good. I love that early Gigi and the Jabber stuff. He has like a British yeah. band that can actually play and then as he goes along he starts to become this character obviously like the music yeah. starts to suffer you know but it's tough and then when people show up they want you to be that person and you're just like god yeah. i dudes I, I really don't have to go to the bathroom right now and they're just like no <laughs> shit on me or fuck you you suck you oh know, like, it sucks yeah anyways uh so this film breaks it all down just tells a real story it's really good Got it. but so abel we're like he calls us up and they're like, well, we need $200 or something, you know, whatever it was. Like, we need cab fare. We're like, okay, I can just give it to you when you get here. Like, yeah. man, I'm not some I'm not some Hollywood guy. I'm independent. And, like, hung up on us. And even that, I was just like, awesome. Yeah. I totally agree with you. So we're like, and also I didn't know this. You can Western Union cash to a cell phone number? Did oh, you wow. know that? No, I didn't know that. No, I Yeah. <laughs> and I even called up Western Union. I was like, people do this a lot? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, drug dealers. Like, oh, sure, right. Yeah. Okay, I haven't needed to do this. But so we Western Union some money. We're like, you know what? Even if it doesn't come up, like, come out. Like, it's fine. We'll help it. We'll, well, let's help him out. And he showed up. And it was great. Showed his movie. We did a panel with him. It was him, Bobcat Goldthwait, Nina Menkes, James Fotopoulos, and uh, Greg Araki. Oh, uh, great yeah. weird yeah. panel. Yeah. And then he showed his film. He had a great. What Q&A. year was this? Must have been uh, 2006 or 2007. Okay. Yeah. And Dennis had known Abel. He was he's in the blackout. Mm-hmm. And we asked Dennis. We're like, Hey, Abel's coming out. And Dennis is like, oh, Okay. <laughs> and then later on, we were kind of like, and he never told us to do anything or not. But he was just kind of like, all right, fine. And then we're like, did you have a bad time doing that? He's like, nope, nope. And he's like, you know, wish there would have been a script, something to that effect. And then at the end of the day, he's like, when we saw Dennis at Vegas, he's like, oh, I'm sorry I acted weird. He was like legitimately like, I didn't mean to act weird. I, I, Abel's great, actually. And then they did hang out and talk. Right. You know, it's just sort of that thing, like, man, some people have visceral effects on you. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, the small amount of time I did get to hang out with Dennis Hopper, I could see that... I mean, he he told me about making a West, like some of the early Westerns he made, and I can't remember the director's name, but it's literally one of the most famous di- mm-hmm. uh, Western directors. Like John Ford. Or... I think it was John mm-hmm. Ford, but yeah. what their big, Dennis Hopper's big thing on John Ford's set was to take like a paper cup and put it in the scene somewhere. Did he tell you this joke? Or did, he ever, <laughs> right. did he ever tell you this? No, because, that sounds right, though. Because there were no paper cups in the Old West, so when they would pan across it, he would see a paper cup on on the, on the film. He, he'd just freak out and lose his shit, so they would always just put like paper cups everywhere in the scene somewhere. You know. He had some story, too, that like you know he's in at least one. I forget if he's in two John Wayne films, and John Wayne's daughter was on a college campus that had this huge, probably in San Francisco, whatever it was. It was it was like just some huge thing where she almost got arrested and she was coming home and just being probably just a regular teenager. Right. And he came on the set because it's, pro- it's post-Easy Rider. So his daughter probably was just like, this is what we do now. And he came, so he came on the set and he's like, where's Hopper? Where's that pinko? Where's Hopper? Like, my daughter, blah, 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 yeah. college, blah, blah, blah. And he thought it was funny, but he was also just like, oh, I really do not want to deal with John Wayne right now. Or just like, dude, that 
How surreal is that? <laughs> yeah. It's like when Gerald Ford's daughter was hanging out with the butthole surfers or whatever it was. Oh, I didn't. I don't know that. It story. was yeah, something oh, like that. Like yeah, like so she good. was she like they'd sent like the Secret Service in a helicopter to go pick her up from like the butthole surfers like party house or whatever. All right, we're running out of time here. But oh yeah, it's, right. It's, it's, so many. Well, just cut so some many of that stories. Other stuff no, out. I'm not going to cut anything out. Okay. Like, no, well, the, the 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 quick thing with all these films. Uh, it's always just like I want to make films I want to be part of films and so if I'm helping someone else make a film fine, cool and then Adam already had all this footage of Giuseppe making a movie like, oh cool I'll get an editor together I'll do whatever paperwork and then I edited a little bit of it I went up to the trailer park and shot a few more scenes and then we just made a film together Yeah. and, and when you're dealing at this, this, this lo-fi thing like, you know uh, the director's kind of the person that sort of directed all the stuff to come together and then editors doing so much work too yeah. and then you know it's important just to never like <clears throat> be too worried about like oh who's playing guitar and who's singing it's just like ah, we're all in the band if it's a positive thing so well yeah, i'll link to the know. giuseppe film because i saw i watched oh, that probably wow. maybe i don't know when I, I watched it maybe like two years ago i want to say yeah it came out 2014 okay yeah so i probably watched it a couple years ago yeah, or more so. maybe three yeah that, may, that makes sense i can't i watched it not yeah. long after it came out but i'll link to that because i don't want to um, growing up in a trailer park that's oh yeah i know it's, for you yeah. i mean it's still it's still completely mind-blowing and no matter where you grew up i think if you watch that film just as yeah. far as like how interesting and dedicated that that kid is or he's not a kid now but you know like yeah. what what he actually decided to do with his life and his relationship with his father and all that but i mean yep. people should see it you know it's like one of those things but before you go i wanted to ask you speaking of old west and jess said that you were working on a new documentary about wyatt earp yeah yeah i got i'm i'm gonna be done but then you know you send it to festivals so who knows when it'll start being seen <clears throat> but at some point because i grew up in colorado and i went to ghost towns just growing up as a kid and I was super obsessed with the Wild West mm -hmm. and you see all the movies like everybody does so just like oh it's really cool and at some point I don't know when I found out probably after I moved to Tucson and Tucson is only one hour <clears throat> 90 minutes away from Tombstone right and it's oh I went there so much it's just like you know it's a tourist trap but it's just like this is trippy so where the ground so the gunfight at the OK Corral which is that movie and <clears throat> a lot of like Tombstone, Tombstone from the 90s yeah, yeah. sure so that really happened. If you really do research, and people can argue about it, but there's probably like five gunfights that ever happened where two groups of individuals stood at each other and did a duel. What usually happened is you'd walk into a room and they saw Billy the Kid, and they, or he walked into a room and they just shot him. <laughs> like, right. Why would you ever give B Billy the Kid a chance? Just like, just shoot him. They killed him. You know, they go, they go in, they see someone, they pistol whip him. So that's what happened. So the fact that this gunfight happened is unique. Then the fact that where that happened, a bunch of people reenact the gunfight four to five times a day, every day <laughs> of the calendar year. Yeah. And so, like, you know, the simplest metaphor for the Western civilization. And so I was interested in that. And then just reading more about him, he never got shot in his life. He lived to be an old man. He lived in Hollywood in the 20s. And there's not many, but there's a couple of photos of him as an old man just living out not far from here. Right. And he would go to movie sets and he would hang out. And he wasn't really a consultant as much as hanging out and talking about how life really was. And if you think about it, like people who were young then, they probably were kids in the 1890s. Yeah. They definitely knew, heard about him. And so it's like, you know, whatever. Michael Jordan coming and hanging out with you. Yeah. Telling, telling you about what he did. I mean, that's what's so weird about that. It's like if you were like, you know, born in 1870 and 19... 
100 years, you know, you're 1920, yeah. you're like 50 years old, you know, like, it's, it's not like, crazy. yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. And so he lived for, you know, he lived in San Francisco for a long time and, and he kept trying to do stuff like mines and all these other sort of little get rich quick things. But, you know, so in this film, I go into this whole, it's kind of like, it's hard not to make it sound pretentious, but it's more of an essay film. It's me talking over a lot of it. You see a lot of movie clips and I talk about how when people watch a movie, it's natural to think this is how it really happened. It's not hard to figure out that a lot of those old movies whitewash a lot of stuff mm-hmm. because that's entertainment. But it's also because he wanted to re—he wanted to rework what people thought about him. Some people didn't think he was a hero, whether or not he was or wasn't. He, it's definitely like a gray area. He was always on the side of the law, but he—you know—he was also a gambler. He like ran card games. He would much rather run a mine than protect people. It seems, you know, so um, and but he saw the first feature film was a boxing movie because bo- to go watch boxing movies just was a, a money making thing. And then at this film, it became the first feature film because it went 14 rounds, basically. And then it started traveling. But then people started talking about this boxing movie like, oh, now we can see what really happened. They called the film a truth viewer. In the papers, they said proof that science is better than the human eye. So, and White Earp was at this fight. He saw this film going. He also saw it made a lot of money. And I think he got this idea. This is 1897. I think he got this idea like, oh, I just make a movie about my life. And then people think that's what happened. And it totally worked. Mm -hmm. And it worked after he died. He dies in 1929. But he knows Tom Mix. He knows William S. Hart, who are like super big at the time. Famous silent movie actors. And... um, <clears throat> and directors and producers, and they knew John Ford. And so John Ford later makes My Darling Clementine, and there's footage of John Ford saying, like, Wyatt told me this is how it happened. You know, and the gunfight in real life was 30 seconds, and in that, I think it's about seven minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a fantastic film. It's really incredible. But I was just like, oh, we all always, we think we're so smart today. We think we're rewriting. We can control our image. Like, this is an old story. Yeah. And even with the techniques that we know now, which is, putting something with using image and sound to tell a story like man that's 1890 shit (laughs) i can't believe it worked it totally worked so you know it's playful and it's pretty fun like there's totally lots of fun moments but we go down and i I, we filmed those guys who reenacted every day one guy's been doing the show for 10 years we're like how many times you've died like five thousand times and he's only like 23. He started working as a teenager. He's a really interesting guy. And then we, we and then I, I got to talk to, um, you know, like a gun expert. And this guy, he can actually do all these tricks. But then we were like, what really happened? And he talks about just like, here's what really happens. And, you know, there's not really that many gunfights. But, yeah, you need a gun because of animals and you don't know what's happening in the Old West. So, so he kind of makes it real. And then, and then the two best things I got, because I'm trying not to do 20 people talking. And I'm trying not to do all celebrities talking. Right, right. But again. Dave Grohl. Yeah, what does Dave Grohl think about Wyatt Earp? <laughs> and, you know, respect, whatever. But uh, but I got to like, oh, who do I want to meet? Stacy Keach. Yeah. So, and it ends up that it was a friend of a friend in this silly little town we live in. And he was great. He's like, yeah, come over, talk. And like, oh, man, he was such a nice, kind man. And he's in a, a, a film called Doc, where he plays Doc Holliday. And it's a very revisionist Western. So he, it's great. He talks about the West. He grew up watching Western movies yeah. and riding horses in Texas. So he's just kind of doing what he did. And then I just interviewed Paula Malcolmson, who's in Tombstone, the movie, but she's more known as Trixie from Deadwood. Mm-hmm. And she was 
fantastic too like just had such great insight it was like really funny and like cussed like a sailor because she's from belfast so you know so it's going to be a few things where people you know talk about what it means to watch a movie and to think that's real life and then also tell Wyatt's story which is kind of you know it's an interesting interesting thing to me at least hopefully other people think it's Amusing. It sounds great. Well, we're gonna uh, link to some of the other films that you've made, and then and then I'll uh, yeah. Oh, uh, thanks. Man. Sounds fantastic. I, I I can't wait to see it. Cool. So thank you, Mike. Yeah, thank you, dude. <laughs> We can go all day. That's the problem with these fucking things. Is oh, you can just there's the Target Video documentary coming day, too. Like, all right, that's in the future. Got it. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye.